Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by television personality, climate change advocate, and most famous gorgeous sensual science guy ever did see, Bill Nye, where we discuss an array of topics from green algae to renewable energy, and really, how do we get people to give a fuck about climate change? Welcome to the studio, Bill Nye, the literal science guy. I added the literal part, but it's literally you in front of my face. I can't believe it. Oh, I got to be somewhere. I'm here with you. Because, um, you you know, scientifically, you can't really be two places at once. No. Not, not yet. as far as we know. Yeah. And this whole idea, well, let's clone you. That doesn't work. You have to have a whole life experience. You can't just show up with the same genes. Heavens. Well, Barbara Streisand apparently cloned her dogs, and I have to say, after the year I've endured with losing cats, I would totally be down to, like, clone pets. Well, you can clone your cat, but the cat isn't going to have the same life experience. But he would have the same personality, right? Uh, It is to be presumed. You know, everybody wonders nature versus nurture. Because maybe, like, when— If you've changed cat food, who knows what stress you could induce— or if I was just, like, more, like, available, like, the second time. Okay, I can't even get into it. Oh, my God. Okay. So, global warming. I feel like growing up, I was born in 87. I 1987. Um, 1987. And I, I remember hearing about global warming as early as first grade. And I remember in first grade, it was 1993, and there was a huge flood um, in the Mississippi River that year. And I remember back then they were like, this is like a, a once every 500 year flood. We were like sandbagging, which I particularly loved because there was a KFC and a Taco Bell tent by the river when you were sandbagging. So I could eat a lot. Um, wow. Cool. Yeah. You know, I was. Where little, was this north and south? I was in Quincy, Illinois. That's where I was born and raised. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like right in the middle of Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a really massive flood. But that it was year. still a flood that far north. Wow. Yeah, well, it was it was it was really bad. Uh, West Quincy, the town across the river from me, was like completely underwater. Um, and my town was mostly spared because it's up on a on a large bluff. But uh, it was still a really intense flood. The point is, is that g- global warming and, and climate change is something that I've been hearing about for most of my life. But it does seem that I am observing um, the effects of it. it does- Five hundred year floods every week. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it definitely seems that, you know, things are increasing and it and it seems that there is a kind of a, a growing like a dystopian uh disconnect between like government and scientists. Well, uh, this government, yeah, this yeah. U.S. government, for sure. Yeah, so I mean, but that's been you know a lot of uh, events in the last three years. So most recently, we had Sharpie Gate, and there's a lot of like little Sharpie Gate. That's a hurricane. Yes, I did not. This is the first time I've heard that coinage. Um, yeah, that was Sharpie Gate, and then also, I mean, I think one of the we've talked about this a Poor little bit. Guy, on- you know, he just lies all the time, and you know people like this. He lies uh, to everybody, then he lies to himself. About how he lied, and people like that are frustrating, but this guy ended up to be president. Well, what do you see as, like, the wider dangers and implications for us on a day-to-day, affecting our daily lives level of this, um, you know, not listening to scientists and experts when it comes to climate change, like, in the near future? Well, there's going to – we can't keep ignoring it. I mean, I just don't – I don't think – The current administration, I think, is not going to get reelected as we know it. And uh, I think things will go back to a little bit to normal. But I I just hope that as people – well, of course, hoping doesn't do much good. Uh, 
except you have to be optimistic. I just think sooner or later, things will change very quickly. And by that, by things, I mean transportation systems and government investment in new sources of energy. I think it'll happen really fast. And the example I always give people is my grandfather went into World War I on a horse. His daughter was in World War II in a streetcar. His son was in the Korean War uh, in mechanized infantry. You know, he said real cars, uh, trucks, real tanks and all that sort of thing. And so things will change very quickly. But the sooner the better. People are saying 12 years, 11 years. The sooner the better. Well, I mean, in 2016, no one thought that Donald Trump was going to win then. Um, you know, we do have well, an election. And as we, as some people remind us, he didn't win the popular election. Right. But unfortunately, until we ratify a new constitution, you well, know. Well, that's not going to So the way we're going to change that, Jonathan, you guys, big changes are very hard. This is what I would tell our good friends on the, on the far progressive side, your Bernie's and your um, Elizabeth's, is you guys – People don't go for sweeping changes. They go for small changes. And this change that's starting is the, the state of Colorado is proposing a law that would require or would uh, induce their all their electoral, electoral college votes will go to whoever wins the national election, the popular vote for president. Like no matter what else happens in the state of Colorado, if this law were to pass – uh, all their electoral college votes would go with the national winner. So if that started in a couple purple states or, or Colorado and, let's say, Iowa, Nebraska is a unicameral go. They don't have a house in the Senate. They've right. only got a house. If that happened in a few places, then the electoral college would, in, let's say, four or five elections, 20 or 24 years, would be irrelevant. And, right. Uh, but then people would change the law. Sure. But – you know, with this new science that's come out that says that, like, the climate in the world that we know it is going to be face irreparable damage in 12 years. Like, we literally don't have 20 years according no, to these statistics. True. Yes. And, um, you but know. But if the next time a regular president gets elected, a regular president with a regular But that's a huge if. Well, so, sure, so, well. here, so here's my direct question to you. Yes, can, Bill Nye, what? Can, can, our, can our climate... Can our world endure a Trump presidency in 2020? Oh, uh, you guys, we remind us. If you let, you love to worry about things. That's your shtick. Is it? Yes. Yes. Chemicals, air, things. I'm pretty wound up too. But the earth's going to be here no matter what we do. That's what sucks. The earth does not care about humankind. We are just one more species coming and going. What we want to do is save the world for us, for us humans. And so, yes, another presidency with all these extraordinary B-team players. My goodness, where did they find such mediocre men and women? It's me. I didn't know there were that many. Well, you know, that's the thing about, I mean, you know, say what you will about Mary, Marianne Williamson's past and, and her books and everything. She said, I really don't know that much about her. But what I will say is this. I think that it's that she really hits a nail on the head when you say that, like, we aren't going to beat this particular president with, like, the same things that, like, didn't work the last time. And it does feel like it's going to take a bigger movement. And I just get nervous when. I mean, I look up to you so much as a scientist and as right like a leading on. voice. And it's like, but, you know, when when we're talking about, like, if we get someone, when we get someone, I mean, it seems like the people that are at the top of their game and climate change are, say, are starting to say, like, you know, we really don't have that much more time. And it seems like, like, when does that wiggle room start to end? Well, I mean, it's starting to end right now, you guys. You talked about your 500-year flood. 
that happens every year now, or kind of. There's more heat energy in the atmosphere, and uh, that just makes more storms. It just makes more weather unstable. And people have been talking about this, what would you say, 1987 you were born? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was when I was in um, engineering school, Carl Sagan, this famous guy, was talking about climate change in 1980. And uh, James Hansen, um, uh, the, uh, Jim Hansen is the big um, climate scientist at NASA, he testified in front of Congress in 1988 and said, hey, we're going to have a problem. And ExxonMobil has these documents, or I guess it was just Exxon back then, has these documents where the scientists were saying, hey, we're in the wrong business. But nobody did anything, but we will soon. What did those memos say? That they knew they were putting, or they had discovered that they were putting carbon dioxide in the atmosphere at an extraordinary rate, and that was warming the world Fast. And that was fossil burning fossil fuels yeah. to make oil. And that's how I got here. I got here in an electric car. Actually, today, today I might have come here on uh, solar power. Can you explain to us? You know, I, I didn't realize that fossils literally came from fossils, or fossils, fossil fuels came from fossils until like a year ago. Well, fossil you- is a word that means bury, buried. So fossil just means stuff that's buried. So coal is uh, ancient swamps. You know, when you go to like in Illinois. Uh, Indiana, the coal fields or coal mines there are underground, and you you can see these um, these ancient trees that are uh, part of an ancient swamp that's turned to coal. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so the, there's coal deposits that are really just buried stuff all over the yeah. world. Yeah, well, there's big swamps. You know, there was an inland sea where we now have Wyoming and stuff. And so, how much more? Fo- so fossil fuels are finite. Yeah, but here's the thing. We'll never run out of coal. There's so much flipping coal. It's a coal festival here. And so if we <laughs> so so you literally even though it is finite, it would really take like what, decades Three decades, centuries, they say. Three centuries. Three more centuries. Of burning at the rate that we've been burning. Yeah. Okay, so 300 more years. Uh, but but that's you don't want to do that. No, of course not. Yeah. I mean, of course not. But I mean, isn't that where sort of this, you know, mediocre approach to climate change comes from? Because it's like we can it kind of feels like we can keep kicking the can down. Well, that's at the uh, the slow motion property of climate change. It's very frustrating. So, but that's the thing. I mean, if if I hear you say that like we you know when we get a new president things will happen very fast, but it's like it's hard to get that sense of urgency when it's like, where are we going to get the sense of urgency? Well, that's what I'm. That's why I'm here, man. So help be me. Be urgent. So, but so help me be urgent. I mean, your yes. own response to Trump in 2020 was kind of like not that urgent feeling. Well, I am hopeful that cooler heads will prevail, and all those guys will and gals will be swept aside if just people show up to vote. And uh, you know, people went on and on about collusion for a long time couple of years, but it's really just regular corruption. It's not, it wasn't like he was in cahoots with, let's say, the Russians or the Russian intelligence agencies. He's just corrupt, just using government money to finance or keep his golf courses afloot and well, proposing let's keep, that the well, international let's, summit be at his property and stuff. Well, let's talk about some of the stuff that he, that this administration really has done to climate. I mean, first of all, he pulled us out of the Paris Climate Accord. Big mistake. Um, then... And basically, the Paris Climate Accord was about fossil fuel emissions or just carbon emissions, yeah, right? Yeah, carbon. That's the same thing. It is. So, because do we get a lot it's of a car- shorthand? You know, do we get a lot of carbon emissions from non-fossil fuels, like from other industries? No, no. I mean, 
making plastics, uh, there's, I guess there's got to be some emissions, but that's a tiny fraction of just burning, burning, burning. So, you know, when you burn, so there's a couple things. Carbon uh, is in carbon dioxide, and it's also in methane, the natural gas that leaks out of things. And like from cows, right? Or cows, they- yeah. It's their burps, by the way, for you, if you're scoring along with It's us. not their farts? No. It's the other end. And it's not their poop? Not so much. The problem is just, here's what it is. When I was a kid, there were 3 billion people in the world. Now there's seven, almost 7.7 billion people. And everybody's breathing and burning all this stuff. And we're just pumping carbon dioxide like crazy. Creating so there's much just heat. There's so many of us. That's, well, creating so much carbon dioxide that it holds in more heat than ever. So when I was a kid, there were around 350 parts per million of carbon dioxide. Today there's 410. And uh, the guys, uh, there's a guy named Joe Bastardi who's a big climate denier, weather guy. Uh, He's on Fox News from time to time. And I offered him a bet that uh, 2010, 2020 would be the hottest decade on record. I offered him $10,000. He wouldn't take it. $10,000, by the way, I chose when um, Mitt Romney, if you remember him, was going to bet Rick Perry, if you remember him. The guy who wanted to close the Department of Energy has now been put in charge of the Department of Energy. (sighs) It's a cartoon, people. And and the EPA. I mean, we've had – I mean, they're rolling back oh, all the just, clean water just, stuff. Just so – so the whole idea that regulations are bad, whose idea is that? You pay taxes on the whole road, you get to drive on both sides? What do you mean? No, there's rules. We're crying out loud. Oh, that's a good thing. So you're basically saying like – Rules are good. Well, especially with like the Clean Water Act, we learned a lot about that with this podcast, but they've really been fundamentally like rolling all that back. And especially in these last few weeks, they're really rolling it back. Or trying to. Well, yeah. But that like that really creates like a public health crisis. I mean, oh, we've yeah. already been through the whole thing with Flint, but there's also this whole like blue green algae bloom thing that's oh, going man. on. Do you know about that? Yeah, it's a mess. What's that whole thing about? So, everybody, the reason we're able to feed 7.7 or 7.6 something billion people is because we can make fertilizer. This uh, We can take nitrogen out of the air and make uh, powder that sticks, that plants take up and uh, make more plant <laughs> crops. But if you, if fertilizer, fertilizer got so, has gotten so cheap that people over fertilize, it ends up in your Mississippi River, goes downstream, ends up in the Gulf of Mexico, and then these algae just thrive on it. And then when you fill the water with these algae particles, then the fish can't breathe and it's just everything sucks. So it's too much fertilizer. Yeah, that's a big thing. Yeah. So, But it's just management. It's just we should be able to figure this out. Oh, my God. We got to get to it in just two seconds. Oh, we got to take we'll, a break. Yes, we'll take be a right break, back people. with more. Whoa. Bill Knight, the science guy, Whoa. right after this. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Bennett. So we were just leaving off with algae. So is that like the number one reason why these blue-green algae bloom things are happening? It's over-fertilizing, yeah. It's over-fertilizing. And the ocean's getting a little warmer. And is the over-fertilizing here in America, is that like the corn, the soybeans? Yeah, all that stuff. In the bread basket. 
as it's called, you know, the, the Midwest where you're from. So when those dogs like jumped into that lake in South Carolina and like got like died from that blue green algae thing. And like those people are talking like the blue green algae in the fresh water, mm. like that's literally from over fertilization. Probably. So that, where does, one, one example, I'm not sure, but probably. So where does that start? Like, is that like the poor farmers are just like, let me get as many crops as I can. So I'm just going to fertilize the shit out of it. Like yeah, who makes yeah. that choice? Yeah. So, and, and, uh, but aren't they maybe being pressured by some of the economic well, decisions that this president is making to try to get better yields because of the tariffs and stuff? And there well, are already drugs. That I don't know. Can't draw that line. I'm or just being yeah. conspiracy theorists yes, right yeah. there. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm the so ribbon, the, the, blah, 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 blah. the yarn on the push pins, yeah, the yeah, push yeah. pins on the, on the bulletin board. Okay, fine. But uh, over fertilization is a big problem. And what I've always said is it's a solvable problem. We should be able to figure this out. We should be able to manage our uh, fertilizer. And if you talk to most farmers, they work very hard to manage it. But, or but, and when weather becomes less predictable, it's harder to manage your inputs, as they're called in agriculture. So let's say that in 2020, we elect Donald Trump. Then let's say in 2024, we elect Don Jr. Then let's say wow. in 2028, uh, Vladimir Putin. No, let's say president. no. Let's say Ivanka. Fuck it. Let let's say Ivanka does it. So let's say we have let's say we have three administrations coming in front of us after Trump that are all pro corporation, anti science. Will take a sharpie to a National Weather Service map and make their own thing, and they will because I mean essentially what we're thinking we, we're finding out here is that Wilbur Ross, not Wilbur Ross, who's the guy that runs the NOAA, NOAA, National Oceanic yes. and Atmospheric Administration. Yes. And oh, who who do we call it again? The NOAA. Noah, Noah. Noah, we love that, but it stands for National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. I think it's Wilbur Ross. Well, he's head of EPA. Um, uh, if so, well, basically, under this pressure. I'm thinking of the guy's name. Oh, anyways. Well, so he guy, he basically he made guy. he made the scientists say that disagreed with Donald Trump, tried like retract to. it. Well, yes, yeah. tried to retract, and so there's that thing. But if that is the attitude that continues to prevail in the next 12 years, the next 16 years, like when currently well, scientists that are saying that we're, yeah. so like what's going to happen? What will that look like? I mean, right now we have Greenland. All the ice is melting in the middle of the summer. Well, we like just, we're going to have trouble. We'll have crop failures and we'll have flooding on coastlines, not just here in the developed world, but in the developing world, in Bangladesh and uh, South Asia, people are going to move away from the coasts and where are they going to go and what are they going to eat? And there's going to be conflict and everybody can see it coming. But I think, I, I think these, the conservatives are just obsessed with getting judges, getting the judges they want and this has led to them putting up with just about anything. Well, I mean, there's such a—that's my hypothesis. Well, there's such a divide and conquer strategy here. I mean, from the from the Republicans and a and a misinformation situation. I also think that it's important to start to draw a differentiation between like Republicans and Trump supporters because I do. That's where I will use the word hope and hope that there is a difference because I do think that there that that is two different breeds of people. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, conservatives started the freaking Environmental Protection Agency, and conservatives used to be like really pro-choice, like pre-Phyllis Shapley in like it the seventies. Like it was very pro-choice. It like, was uh, live and let live. They were just fiscal conservatives. They just yeah. didn't want to spend their fucking taxes. It That's wasn't right. that was and and honestly, sometimes I feel cheap. 
sometimes I feel like I want to be a little bit cheaper with my tax money, but you know, I can, but it's all this other. Okay. So anyway, well, we disagree, you know, people have different opinions when they think, when they feel tax dollars are being wasted. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like mine are being wasted and I feel like they're actually being used to like, you know, oppress poor Yemenese people and like give arms to Saudi Arabia and all this other fucked up stuff. Well, and then the other, th- <clears throat> the other thing, um, uh, conservatives right now have, uh, they're so into this having uh, preventing abortions that they they are put up with all with any extraordinary nutty point of view, and it's very frustrating. So we'll so, see what happens when states enable like California is going to enable abortions, and then there'll be federal lawsuits. But that'll go on for a long time. Same with cars. When California won't, imp- it's not the same as an abortion. Excuse me, but. When California won't let you import your car if it doesn't have doesn't meet certain emission standards, then that's going to be enormously influential, no matter what the some wild person oh, in the yeah, federal because, government makes up. Because like Gavin Newsom wants to keep going with those like same emission standards, that and we so were going do automakers because they yeah, can see it coming. But they Trump know doesn't that, want to. Yeah, well, or his people. So the um. So basically, can you? I mean, does everybody? Does anybody know what Trump wants really? Can he keep a thought in his head one hour to the next? It's a tough He one. just wants – I feel like he wants power. I feel like he wants money. I do feel like I see a pretty clear well, – he doesn't want to lose any more money. I'll give you but that. But I feel like he's really enriching himself a lot from the presidency by like having well, all these people staying at his courses and blah, blah, blah. But here's what I want to ask. How do we make climate change a central issue to the 2020 election? And furthermore, I have trouble wrapping – like – we need to get a sense of urgency on this if we want to bump this up in the priority lists. Yeah, yeah. Because to people in the middle of America that will elect this next president, hearing that people in Bangladesh are going to move inland is not a real. Uh, oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. It's but not a real. It's not. It's not going to make them see the sense of urgency. So it's like <clears throat> that's what I'm trying to get to is that like there is a genuine disconnect and and when people can't see the threat, it feels like boy who cried wolf. And that, I think, is how do we get climate change as being something that people have been hearing about in the periphery their whole life? And I'm still here. And I'm not saying I'm a climate change change denier. I am. You're preaching to the choir. But what I am saying is that there's a whole bunch of people who have shown up, who have who have shown in the past that they will not show up for For climate climate change. change. Yeah. This is uh, this is what we hear, man. That's why we're doing this podcast, man. Yeah. So how do we do it? Well, we talk about it. I say all the time, if you people say, what can I do about climate change? And the answer is, my answer rather is talk about it. If we were talking about climate change, the way we talk about Medicare for all, the way we talk about gun violence, the way we talk about the corruption in the administration, if we were talking about climate change at that level, we would be doing something about it. And I think pretty soon we will be because the consequences are just getting more and more apparent. Well, I'm trying to draw some parallels so that people can see what those consequences are. I think one of the most clear has been Flint because that feels... Well, yeah. Flint's also mismanagement, you know. But it is a little bit of an environmental issue. I mean... Oh, yeah. They, you know, or it's not a little bit, it is. I mean, they switched where the water source came from. It wasn't clean. It had lead. There's pipes. I mean, there's, there's definitely science to that. Um, so what are some other, well, the hurricanes, man, the hurricanes, they're, they're getting bigger. And by bigger, I mean, everybody's obsessed or fascinated with categories. The categories are getting bigger, which means the winds are stronger, but they're also getting wider. 
and moving more slowly and dumping more rain. Oh, they're moving slower. And it's just a trouble, trouble, trouble. But with bigger winds. That's, yeah, yeah, it's all bad. And then what about the wildfires? Can we directly link those to global well, warming? Yes, yes. According to climate scientists that I spend time with, Mike Mann at Penn State, Rick Alley, Richard Alley, this, uh, the dehydration of the soil in California and Montana is directly, directly related to climate change. And people have been talking about this for years. I don't mean to be dismissive. It's just, yeah, this is what we've been saying, everybody. And it should not be a conservative or progressive issue. It should be everybody's issue. Let's how go. Do you, how do you? So they blew up some, some uh, an oil refinery in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, no, um, in. Um, Iran. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In Saudi Arabia. Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Arabia. I mean, Iran apparently was involved in blowing yes. up an oil refinery in Saudi Arabia. 5% or 6% of the world's, world's weekly oil supply is cut off. It's an opportunity, you guys. Let's use less oil. And it doesn't mean drive less. Let's use more efficient vehicles. This whole thing of what would you sacrifice? What would you give up? You can't use a plastic straw. So let's make better straws, for crying out loud. You can't drive an inefficient car. Let's make cars more efficient. If every car got the equivalent of uh, a hybrid's mileage, or let's say my electric Chevy Bolt, my equivalent mileage is over 100 miles per gallon. If every car had five times the or four times the fuel efficiency they have now, we would buy a lot more time in addressing climate change. The technology is here. So you, there will be a day when nobody's driving a, or very, very few people are driving gas-powered cars. So you drive a gorgeous Chevy Volt, so she's an electric car, your car. Yeah, it's a Bolt with a B like Bravo. Bolt. Bolt. Buh, buh, buh. So and it, and it only does electric. Yeah, there's no place to put gas. That's cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a U.S.-made car. And some management of General Motors now is those guys on strike. Okay. All right. So, and, and that is a way that we could greatly reduce our use of fossil fuels. Has this administration done anything to, like, incentivize or de-incentivize? No, they've de-incentivized it, yeah. De-incentivized it. The way they roll. But so, everybody remember, an electric car in and of itself, electric bus, electric truck, are not the answer. But... Uh, but keep in mind, the electric vehicle doesn't know, in a sense, where the electrons or the electricity comes from. Uh, if it comes from a nuclear power plant, the car runs fine. If it comes from a coal-fired power plant, the car runs fine. If it comes from solar panels, car runs fine. Is there any solar-powered panel cars right now? No, no. The, no. Uh, we Wouldn't that be have, fun? Yeah, yeah, it'd be cool. But uh, there isn't enough roof area on a car to produce enough electricity to run it right now. Okay, we're going to take a really quick break. Taking break, everyone. Stand by. Stand by. That's my mom's favorite phrase. We'll be right back. So welcome back to Getting Curious. We have Bill Nye, the science guy, who's literally so fucking gorgeous in real life, I can't even get over it. So... Uh, hair is getting long. Electric, I guess he digs that. But it, like, I do, I do dig that. So, but electric cars are like one gorgeous way. Uh, a well, nice they're part resource. of the, part of the answers to the problem. What like, are some other gorgeous solutions that you think? Well, to the so what I'm all hot for is, um, first of all, whoever invents a better battery will change the world and get rich. 
uh, which would be good for you with your better battery. Expand. And then, uh, well, then we'd make electricity. So right now, when uh, 15, 20 years ago, everybody wanted you to use your appliances in the middle of the night. Yes. After 11, after midnight, something like that. Charge your electric vehicle after midnight, after 11 p.m. Well, now they want us to charge our electric vehicles between 10 in the morning and 2 in the afternoon. What? Sun's the, the strongest there? Yeah. And so here in Southern California, there are so many solar panels, solar farms built out uh, you know, north of Altadena, like out there um, near the town of Mojave and, um, and uh, well, north of – uh, well, there's another city, everybody, called Sun Valley in California. North of all that are all these solar panels that are powering my car. Cool. Warm. Hot. It's good. Lancaster. Out there by Lancaster. So the solar panels collect the electricity or the sun. Sunlight. Convert it to electricity. We distribute the electricity in the city. and uh, we Through like grids? Yeah, it's the grid. That is the grid, the electric grid. And then at my house specifically, I'm a hobbyist. This is not for everybody, but I have uh, batteries. I have the Tesla Powerwall. Okay, wait. On my house. Okay, wait. So there's, okay, so fossil fuels. Okay, got it. And then, you know, or charge your car. Got it. But then at home, solar, like, what's the difference between like classic electricity and like solar powered stuff? None. But the difference. It practically is solar panels don't provide electricity at night. Wind turbines don't provide electricity when the wind's not blowing. So what we need is a way to handle what people call the base load. How much electricity do you need when everything else is not working? And uh, how much electricity will there always be a demand for, no matter what's going on? How many refrigerators will be on? How many air conditioning or heating uh, uh, heat pumps will be on? At night or during the day. What's that base load and where are we going to get the electricity for the base load? This electricity, everybody, is magical. But how does it affect global warming? Oh, so by producing, traditionally, a power plant burns coal. Nowadays, a great many of them burn natural gas. But isn't that any, is that any better or worse? It's natural way gas? worse, fantastically worse than why? solar Why, why, why? solar panels. Because they, you're putting carbon dioxide in the air. Oh. So you burn the coal, you get heat, then you boil, traditionally you boil water, and that uh, becomes steam, and that allows you to drive a wind turbine, I mean a steam turbine, like a pinwheel, a giant stainless steel, enormous set of pinwheels, so a jet are, engine running backwards. Are any of these, so they're either doing burning coal for it, or they're doing natural gas, both are bad. And then coal's worse, though. Coal's sure. worse, but natural gas is also bad. And then basically, the problem with like solar and the wind is that so basically, once the electricity gets created by the solar and the wind, we can't store it. We, uh, can't we, store, store, it. we store it in batteries, but the batteries are expensive and they don't hold that much electricity. So that's why you said that we need cuter batteries. Yes, cuter, like better. more resourceful, better batteries. Yes, better so, batteries. And I want somebody out there to invent it and I want her to get rich. And then what else is a, is a good toolbox to reduce? So I am all hot for the following idea. You've probably heard of cold fusion. Do you remember that? Mm-mm, no. Oh, really? So there were some guys. I missed in, that fucking episode, damn it. No, it's fine. There were people in Utah that claimed they had fusion, which is the same way the sun or any star makes uh, heat and light. They had it on a, 
work on a lab laboratory bench. Like we got it working right here. We don't need a star. We got it right here. But that turned out to be a hoax. Mm. Then uh, when I was in uh, college, well, ever since I've been a little kid, people have had the idea to do fusion here on Earth. Now, fusion in shorthand form is how stars make heat and light, and they do it by overcoming the natural repulsion of protons. These are things inside atoms. And they're both positive. Both, if you have two protons, they're positive. They're repelling each other. But if you have enough gravity, which is what a star has, you can smash them together so forcefully that they fuse, overcoming the strong atomic force, one of the four fundamental forces, and release all this light and heat. Fabulous. And a star, like the sun, is a balance between the gravity crushing all its stuff and the stuff inside fusing and pushing the gravity back out. So there are some guys, some guys and gals, some researchers of all ages, by the way, in Orange County, California, who have the following idea. Oh, since I was in school, people have tried doing fusion on Earth. The famous thing is in Princeton, a tokamak, which is some fabulous acronym, but shooting Protons, which you get from hydrogen gas, which you get from water, mm -hmm. H2O. You shoot hydrogen into hydrogen that carries an extra neutron. You may have heard the expression heavy water. Yes. Yeah. And then the premise was that protons would fuse with the neutrons and you'd get this fantastic, enormous amount of heat and light. But no one's been able to make enough heat and light to sustain the magnetic field that you need to hold the whole thing together. But these guys in or and gals in Orange County may be on to a different scheme. Instead of trying to use hydrogen with an extra neutron, they'll use everybody's favorite boron and hydrogen gas. We boron. love boron. Yes, because that's what Death Valley is made of. That's also what they did in, incorrectly in Chernobyl when they were dumping the boron. Uh, in that one episode, they were dumping boron, and that was wrong because it was it was stopping it, but it was making it melt worse. Uh, so, did you not see episode two of Chernobyl? Uh, so, uh, Bill, it's so good. You have to. I know it's show. awesome. Oh Everybody gets sick. Nothing to worry about. We won't let you leave the city. Oh, it's so good. Everyone's shaking their head. You got to watch it. So, I mean, you already know because you're a scientist. So, but. well, so. Boron is, uh, you know, 20 mule team borax. Are you of an age where you remember laundry detergent booster? No, I keep it's going chlorophyll's borophyll from Adam uh, Sandler. So it's in atomic my mind number right five, yeah, and me. hydrogen's atomic number one, and they'd come together and be atomic number six. Then you hit them with the, new, with the protons, and they'd become three number twos, and they'd release tremendous amount of heat and light. And if that could work, if that would work, we would have unlimited electricity. Around the world, if that would work. If it doesn't work, and so it wouldn't it goes. be as dangerous as like nuclear stuff. No, no, be no, well, hardly any radiation, huge magnetic fields that you have to manage, but that we could do that. And so instead of it being cold fusion, it's very, very, very hot fusion, hotter than the surface of the sun. Contained that sounds in dangerous, though. Well, contained in magnetism. Yeah, well, and if the magnet goes off, the whole thing stops and just sits there cooling off oh no no the whole thing the promise is extraordinary but here's my driving at if we were taking climate change seriously and when i am king of the forest we will take climate change seriously 
uh, next week or whenever it is, uh, we would invest in processes like this. We would invest like crazy to see if we could make this thing work. The people who manage this facility say they need $30 billion. The Apollo program put people on the moon. We just celebrated the 50th anniversary. Close to $300 billion, close to 10 times that. Well, the insurance and industry. they walked around made, the moon for two hours and came back. It was well, the cool. insurance industry has made $72 billion since the institution of the Affordable Care Act over the last six years. So yeah. that's double the. No, money no. In other words, if we were to invest in it, we could s- try this, build better. We could invest in better batteries. We could distribute energy and wealth and uh, educate girls and women and we would address climate change. So what are the three so three biggest contributors to climate change are uh, well burning fossil fuels I think then transportation anytime you like a jet airplane burns fossil fuels almost all cars burn fossil fuels and people in the developing world world burn everything to do anything for heat and light and so, but of course, you could have five kids in Central Africa and not have the effect of a single kid in Los Angeles. What or, about or Kansas City? Yeah. What about like the um, burning or Lincoln, of the, Nebraska? What about like the burning of Amazon fields for like the cows and yeah, that whole thing? Yeah, that's a drag. It's a drag. It's a drag. You don't believe? Oh no! I mean, I would rather. I think everybody would rather they weren't doing it. But if you have a if you have a management, what's it called, president, who doesn't accept human-made climate changes and, and encourages burning, farmers burn so that in the hopes that they can grow more uh, financially rewarding crops. But so what we would prefer. So you have a gorgeous new podcast. Well, it, you have a gorgeous podcast where you're discussing. All these of, sort of things. Yes, which we love. And it's science rules. Science rules. Turn it up loud. Um, I love how to survive another Chernobyl. Yes, right. We had her on. She was cool. Well, what uh, do we need to do? that studies the effects of nuclear fallout. Is it like iodine that we all need to have? Well, iodine's good, but the main thing she said is stay inside for 24 hours. So apparently what really got you in Chernobyl was the dust, the radioactive dust what people call fallout falling on you. So you just stay inside. But what about my kids at daycare? No, trust it. Stay home. Have the kids stay at daycare. Go there tomorrow in the hopes that everybody's okay. And you can go, everybody. You can go a day without eating. You'll be okay. And it's best to just let all that shit settle outside. But understand this scenario that we're discussing is a freaking catastrophe. You don't want to blow up nuclear freaking power plants what, or use nuclear weapons. What are your thoughts on nuclear power plants? Well, they are okay. So what we want to do is keep the existing ones going now, but until somebody has a good, reasonable place to put the nuclear waste that people will accept. I'm not getting into the technical argument about whether – Nevada or Idaho or that place in Germany, the mine, whether the or in Arizona. We're not talking about technically whether or not it would work. It's the place that people, voters and taxpayers will accept. And right now, nuclear nuclear industry has not come close. Because they almost had it settled with Harry Reid in Nevada that one time, but then he pulled the plug at the last minute. They were going to store like all that nuclear waste rods in because it's the it's the containment rods or or the cooling rods, right? Well, and and uh, uh, well. All of it. The the um, 
the cadmium rods are trouble, but um, uh, it's it's the the low level waste, all the paper coveralls and stuff, and the tanks full of solvents. So other thing, I've been to Yucca Mountain in, in Nevada. It'll never work for storing nuclear waste. It leaks. It's made of a old rock called tuff. It's porous, volcanic oh, rock. So much dangerous. Well, it's just it's a short-term thing. You know, when you say you're going to store something for the equivalent of the time the Roman Empire was here, that's a, quite an extraordinary claim. I mean, who's going to believe you that you're going to be able to do that safely? So that's a problem. So we keep the nuclear plants that are working running until we come up with something better. But the other fundamental problem with nuclear power is getting a license to build one takes 15 years because of not just bureaucracy, because like Fukushima, they built it on a freaking fault and a tsunami came in and blah, blah, blah. And Three Mile Island, you're too young, but it all it didn't blow up, but it almost did. But Chernobyl, you watch the thing. Well, they shouldn't have been doing that. What's Three I Mile know, Island? They did. Uh, it's in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It's a nuclear power plant and it. It had some fretting in the valves. Some it would scraped up some plumbing, and so there was a leak. And the industry had it so that this side of town will go that way across the bridge, and that side of town will go this way across the bridge. It was a mess. When was that? Nineteen seventy nine. And they right? evacuated it or something. They tried it- to, but it didn't work. Oh shit! But so it was all under control, ultimately. But because of the sloppiness of the nuclear industry, that nobody is on board with their big ideas. But let's keep the existing ones running till we come up with something better. So we mentioned a little bit earlier about just, you know, this kind of normalization of the manipulation of, um, you know, the public trust with science, with press, with, you know, this administration. And, you know... I, to me, the most important piece of that is, is like, how do we develop our critical thinking and really critical thinking? Yes, Jonathan, that's key phrase. Yes. So how do you want to, we have, you know, a few minutes left. It's like, how do you want to implore people to think critically about making these issues be issues that are voting issues and issues of, if you're someone who's passionate about, um, what's going on at the Southern border. If you're passionate about equality, if you're passionate about, um, climate uh, change. Yeah, but no, but, but equality, that's what I'm trying to say. Climate change has a relationship to every other issue that is important to us. And people don't see that. So what I'm begging you to do this whole time is paint the fucking picture to people on why they should give a fuck. Oh yeah. Why does climate show? Why is it so important to us right here? Why is it an economic issue? Why is it an equality issue? So if we didn't need to buy oil from overseas, then the, the threat of terrorism to our oil supply would just not be that significant. And that would be true not just for the U.S., but for any country or large area with a group of countries. It would This would seem like common sense. And then uh, – So you're saying our dependence on oil from countries that are rich in oil from the Middle East starts to create some of the imbalance oh, in yeah. the first place. Oh, yeah, and then wait, wait, there's more. So because the uh, – because of desertification, because deserts are getting bigger in the Middle East, uh, land is drying out. Young people are leaving the family farms and going to the big city looking for work. And this is where apparently, to a large extent, 
you get people, young people, young men, who are disenchanted and you get recruited by terrorist organizations. Like that, even that is connected to climate change. And then the terrorist organizations that take over these dams that are used for irrigation, for raising farm food in those areas. Uh, this is all related to having weather patterns change. So for us in the literate, scientifically literate side of this, climate change's tentacles reach every facet. Now, when you talk about equality, if we had more equality worldwide, let alone in your own county, wherever you live, people, there's just less conflict. When people have enough, they don't, they don't get uh, at each other's throats. I'm not the first guy to point this out. But here's an interesting thing, Jonathan, to me. As President Barack Obama remarked, if you couldn't control where you would be born, but you could control when, in all of human history, do you want to live in the swing era? Do you want to live in cave guy times? Do you want to live before or after the U.S. Civil War? Do you want to live before or after Norway changed from driving on the left to driving on the right? If you, if you, you could pick when but not where, this would be the time to be born. As screwed up as everything seems to be, as troublesome as everything seems to be, as much trouble as there is in the world, there's actually less trouble than ever. There are actually, strangely enough, fewer wars than ever. There's actually, weird as it may seem, less gun violence than ever. Uh, but with that said, we're also aware of it now because of uh, the way we distribute Is there less gun violence than ever? Yeah. I mean, if you count wars. But how would we know? Well, I mean, well, okay. Well, people go to a lot of trouble to try to figure that out. Yeah, I mean, if you count wars, I guess. Well, I mean, because we're not in like a civil war and a revolution. But, but you, you didn't go to war. You didn't join the military. You didn't get shot at, right? No, but interpersonal domestic gun violence is not at an all-time low. I would challenge that. Well, I'm not. Okay, you're going specific. Yeah, but just the number of people that get killed by guns is smaller than ever. Because we're not in like a literal a, a, a civil war. A global war. war. We right. don't have a world war. Yeah. Right. Um, and so you didn't, nor did I, have to join the military, but, uh, or and, uh, because we did not have a global conflict that demanded it. And I missed, go I missed going to Vietnam by that much, by six months, really. Unlike our president who had like a fake medical yeah, disorder. And one more thing not to like about him. So, um, you know, I got to say, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, like, I it is I, Jonathan. Things. We had fun. But is there, what, what do you want to, is there anything, I mean, you want to leave people with? Yes. Which is? Be optimistic. We can do this. We can change the world. Three things we want for everybody on earth. Clean water. Renewable, reliable electricity. Access to the internet for everybody. And I'm not kidding. I'm not talking about playing video games. I'm talking about providing access to global information to everyone. What we want to do is raise the standard of living of girls and women. If you can do that, it's very difficult, but if you can do that, women have fewer kids. They have more choices because they're educated. Uh, ed education is the key. They have more choices. They have fewer kids. The kids they do have are better cared for, and they have more opportunity. And if we can do this, we can change the world. So enough with the hand wringing, and let's get out there and do this. If you want clean water, we need unlimited. We need a lot of electricity. We can do that. We can desalinate seawater. We can manage the water that falls naturally uh, better. 
And then uh, renewable electricity, there's all these opportunities in wind and solar, maybe this fusion, maybe. Distribution of electricity, better power lines, better transmission systems, better management of electricity we have. Literally, more efficient light bulbs. We can do this. And then access to the internet will now be provided with assets in space, with satellites to everybody in the world. Let's go. I'm ready to go to, to school and become a right fucking on. scientist. Yes. Yeah. Check out the Planetary Society at planetary.org. We flew a solar sail spacecraft, the first one ever in Earth orbit to build orbital energy. Thanks to your support, our 50,000 plus members around the world. Let's go, Jonathan. Yes. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was Bill Nye. You'll find links to his podcast and other works in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJBN. Our theme music is Free by Quinn. Thank you so much for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. Getting Curious is produced by me, Emily Bosick, Julie Creo, Ray Ellis, Harry Nelson, and Colin Anderson. 